Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter chapter 2 can be found on page 954 in the Black Pew Bibles. If you're a guest or visitor with us and you don't own a Bible, uh, I'd be happy for you to not just use it for the service. Take it home. We have a whole box of extras here at the church. We'll order more. If you need a Bible, I would encourage you to take it home. Read it. It is nourishment for the soul of a believer, but it's also the light that is needed if you aren't a follower of Jesus. So wherever you find yourself, a Christian, non-Christian, curious, you need, you need a Bible. And we're opening to verses 11 and 12, page 954, uh, just two scripture passages. And the reason for that is because this passage, I believe, is really the, the thesis statement of Peter's whole letter. And it would be good for us to make sure we get what he's saying here to help us understand what he's already said and what he's about to say. And so I thought it would be really useful if there would be a simple, easy way to remember this thesis statement. And the more I was doing some reflection on that aim and goal, uh, I thought of this popular Christian slogan phrase, in but not of. My guess is some of you who are Christians, been in the church for a little while, you have heard this phrase, in but not of. More specifically, it refers to the idea of being in the world but not of the world. It captures, I think, an important truth about followers of Jesus. And then recently I read an article by David Mathis. He writes at Desiring God Ministries, and he said... He thinks this is true, but incomplete. Needs work, needs revising. Matthews argues that in the world, but not of the world, yes, of course, is true. He writes this punchy phrase, however, could give the wrong impression about our mission in the world as Christians. The motto could seem to give the impression that we are in the world, alas. But what we really need to do is make sure that we're not of the world. Mathis continues to write, In this way of configuring things, the starting place of this little saying is in the world. And then our mission is don't be of the world. Rats, we're stuck in this world, but let's use our energy to not be of the world. Of course, we do sometimes need to hear that message. But here's the important part of his article. Maybe, upon further review of actually the specific words of Jesus in John 17, where this little phrase comes from, it would better serve us to revise this phrase, in but not of, in this way. Not of, but sent into. Notice the beginning of this phrase, the revised version that is, is not of this world. That's who you are. And the movement is not to not be of the world, but to be sent into the world for a mission and a purpose. The accent falls on being sent and not mainly the mission to disassociate with the world, not of the world. It's like riding a horse. 
This is my analogy. I'm done with a little Mathis article, but I think he's right. Especially a careful reading of John 17 will help you see Jesus did not say, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Those ideas are there, but more precisely, he says, just like Jesus is not from this world, so my disciples are not of this world. And on the basis of that identity of otherworldliness, send them Father. That's his prayer. So, riding a horse. My name means lover of horses. Phil up means lover of horses. Strangely enough, I'm not an equestrian master. I have rode a horse, but not many horses. I know this much, though, about riding a horse. In order to stay on, you need basic balance. And in the same way, our passage, we have two verses, and we have two ideas. Not of this world, sent into this world. Verse 11 is not of this world. And some of us, like riding a horse, we're tempted to fall off on one side. We want to be of this world. Others of us, we get the idea. We don't want to be like this world. We're tired of it. It's grinding on us. But we fall off on the other side of the horse. We don't want to be sent into. We want to run away from the world. There's your idea. I didn't make it up. It's the prayer of Jesus. But it is the point of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 and 12. Let's read the text. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they see when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And that ends our reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And my prayer is that we will not fall off on only liking verse 11 or only liking verse 12. We will be not of this world as sojourner exiles, but we will be sent into this world so that the nations and the Gentiles will see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen? Hope you see that this big idea, this little slogan revised, succinctly summarizes Peter's point. To say it more fully, I would state it this way. Peter's telling us that God's elect are not of this world. That's verse 11. But he's also telling us in verse 12 that God's elect are sent into the world for the glory of God among the nations. So Embassy Church, let's just take those two simple ideas one at a time and let's realize that some of you are going to be struggling with falling off in one direction and some of you will be tempted to fall off on the other some of you might already be like falling off and need brought back up by this sermon. And if there's just one simple thing, remember this as the message of not of, but sent into. That's it. Can you remember that? Not of, verse 11, but sent into, verse 12. 
Spend some time just thinking through the implications of that. That's our outline. Not of, but sent into. Point one, God's elect are not of this world. Verse 11 says that we are beloved. We are loved people. We are not people that are lacking love. We are loved people. Is this love that Peter is demonstrating to the writers or the people that he's writing to? Is this the author saying, you are my beloved? Yeah. Or is this God loves these people and he's communicating, you are the beloved people? Yeah. I don't think we have to choose. God's love for these people are the very reason why Peter loves these people. So first and foremost, you are not of this world because you have a love from heaven. That's what Peter's been talking about all the way from verse 1 of chapter 1 to where we left off last week. God loves you. He so loves you that this blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ sent his son into the world to rescue you from your sin and your futile ways of sin. And he did that by letting his son become a sacrificial lamb to die in your place, a spotless, without blemish lamb. Precious blood was spilled so that you could receive adoption and love and hope and a new heart and new desires. And so now, instead of looking to the world for love in all the wrong places, you can know you're of a different kind of person and community that is loved. Beloved, you're loved by God. You are God's chosen race. He chose you. You are his royal priesthood. You're royal, but not stuck up. You're a royal priest who serves. Royalty that serves. What a juxtaposition. You are chosen. You are royal. You're a priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people of his possession that he would give whatever it takes to purchase you and buy you. And he did by sending his son. And notice that this is all what we talked about last week and that the purpose is so that you would proclaim, so you'd be sent into the world to proclaim his excellencies. But the relationship between you knowing the love of God, your identity as loved persons, will be the only way that you will ever go into the world in any sort of fruitful or faithful way. It's foundational. If you have emptiness in your heart because you want a relationship with another human on this earth to satisfy the deep longings of your soul, forget sending. You need to be loved. So receive love. Remind yourself that you are the loved people, loved by God through the gospel, called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This God who exists, who is, he loves. So, beloved, you are an alien, a sojourner, a stranger. You're weird. You're not of this world. If you have received the love of God in Christ, you are different. You are not like the rest of this world. You are holy and distinct and set apart. 
You don't love the things the thing that the world loves. You hate the things that the world loves. You have new cravings for the Bible, like pure spiritual milk, like a, an infant. You hunger for more of God's word. Do you see what Peter has been saying all along? The elect of God, the chosen of God, the Christians, are not choice because of how great they were. They're chosen even though they were so unworthy. It's because of his sheer mercy. It's because of his love. And that's what makes us weird. We're not the people that are like, we're the chosen ones. <clears throat> I'm chosen by God. That's not our attitude. What did I say last week? The sermon ended last week for those of you that were here. Why us? Why, why am I chosen? I don't deserve to be chosen. Are you all in awe of the fact that God has chosen you and showed mercy to you? That kind of love makes you weird because you are both filled with unimaginable confidence in your identity, but at the same time, not a kind of proud, cocky confidence, a humble, submissive, servant-hearted confidence. That's weird. That's why you're an alien. That's another translation of that word sojourner. This is not your home. You are from another home. Our house, it's this church. That's what we covered last week. The people of God is our true house and our true home. You, you can't be living in this world and get so settled in and so comfortable. That's not who you are. If that's the way you're living, then you're falling off on the wrong side. We call ourselves, what is a church? Embassy. Pastor Phil, why is the church name Embassy? It's not because we're an embassy of the United States. It's because we're an embassy of heaven. We are citizens of another kingdom that's not even of this world. We're ambassadors who represent the king of heaven. We're delegates of heaven. Do you understand this point? That you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are distinct and holy and set apart, and you are not of this world. And full allegiance to Jesus means, fundamentally, it means this, you cannot fully participate in the world. It will cause you to compromise in some form or fashion. A line gets drawn in your life, in society, in the workplace, in politics, in parties on the weekend, in relationships. At some point or another, your love for things in this world, you're going to have to make a choice. If you call yourself a Christian and you want to continue maintaining a romantic relationship with someone that is not a Christian, friendship with the world is hatred, an enemy with God. Do you understand that? There are certain things that your employee might ask you to do. And in order to advance in your company, you're going to have to cheat or say things that aren't true or capitulate to some kind of cultural agenda. He's like, no, I'm a Christian. I can't do that. Well, you're not going to get that promotion. I'm loved by God. I have an internal inheritance that it won't be touched. There's nothing you can do that's going to make me feel insecure about myself. That's weird. People don't act that way, but Christians do. It's what they do. That's who they are. They're sojourners. They're exiles. Following Jesus means that you are both elect, chosen, you're loved, and you're exiles. 
Do you all realize that you are both of those things? Loved by God, hated and rejected by the world. What did they do to Jesus? They rejected him. Chosen by God, but rejected by men. Those who are chosen by God end up being rejected by the world. And this is why the only place on earth that we should ever feel fully at home is when we're spending time with other believers in Christ. There is an exception to this. There is a home here on earth. And that's why we call ourselves an embassy of heaven. We want to be a kind of house and a place where you can feel at home at least when you're with one another. And that's at least the goal of church membership, of church gatherings, of relationships with other brothers and sisters. I would just challenge any of you that if your closest and best friend is somebody that doesn't love and trust Jesus, perhaps you're falling off on the wrong side of the horse. Too much of this world. Our closest and best relationships should always be those who love Christ to help spur on our love for Christ. And so it's extremely important for us to realize that we are not of this world. Does that mean I can't have friends that aren't Christians? Whoa, we're getting to that point. That's point two. For now, there's point one. You're from heaven. Notice the way our text urges with great earnest seriousness that we are in a war against the sinful desires of our flesh. Kind of makes the point really clear. You're not of this world. You have a new home, but you also are awaiting a new body. And in the meantime, one reminder of your Being born again is this war within you. And I think it's extremely important for so many people, just pastorally, I have these conversations so regularly. Pastor Phil, I think I'm the only one that still struggles with sin. And all of us can say, that's not true. Amen? you're, You're not the only one. Why would Peter say to Christians... You are so different from this world and you're strangers and aliens that you don't ever have to fight sin again. That's exactly the opposite of of what he says. He says, even though you are not of this world, you still need to fight sin. In fact, that'll be a good regular reminder. Something's not right. I, I need not just a new home in the church. I need a new physical body. There's something wrong with my mind and my heart. There's desires for things where like, you wouldn't believe it if I told you, Pastor Phil. No, I, 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 I can believe it. The Bible says that we have desires of our sinful flesh. That's what flesh means. This is not about natural appetites like I'm hungry because I didn't eat lunch today. I'm getting hungry in my stomach. That's not the desires of the flesh. He means this as abstain the desires that would lead you to love the world too much. So we have to fight it like it's a war. The illustration here is baked in. Peter uses the term make war in a way that creates this picture of soldiers that are inside of your body. This is all metaphor, not literal. And there's these little desires and they're coming and they're, they're not neutral and they want to get you. Notice that spiritual warfare in 1 Peter 
It begins with your heart. It begins with the war that's going on inside of you. Oh, brother and sister, please realize that we live in a world right now where people around us, they think that every thought they have or feeling or desire, it might be okay. Like if I'm desiring a, a change in my gender identity, if I'm desiring a change in my sexuality, maybe I, I feel this way. I feel like this is all I've ever known. We should not assume that our desires are always good. We desperately need a community of people and God's word to point out what, what desires are actually good and which ones are bad. Do you just assume that every time you have a thought or a feeling that it's a good one? This passage says that there's something wrong with every single human being, even chosen Christian elect exiles that still need to fight with severe urgency. I urge you, I beg you, please. Do you get the tone of verse 11? It's not soft, it's vigilant. And I wonder if our friendship with the world, some of us just really, really want to be accepted by our friends, by non-Christian family members, this is going to make compromises left and right. So realize that we are loved, which makes us weird. We're sojourners or exiles because our true home is in heaven. When Christ returns and the reestablishment of a new body and a new earth is really when we'll finally and fully settle in to our true purpose and destiny. And until then, we have a war to fight. And all of that should just communicate this simple little idea. Not of. Not of this world. But there's a second point. Sent into. Notice the relationship between 11 and 12. Your private personal desires. Your private thoughts. The things you dream about in your fantasies. What you do in your private web browsing what you spend your money on and cover up and let no one else see, those desires being fleshed out in true conduct are not irrelevant. You ever heard the lie? Well, if I'm doing this in the privacy of my own home, it's not hurting anybody. Peter wants nothing of that ideology. Abstain fleshly desires not just for your own soul's sake, that's point number one, you're not of this world, but point number two, for the sake of the glory of God amongst the Gentiles. Do you realize that there's a relationship between you fighting sin, you understanding your identity as a believer in God, and then your witness to the world? What you do in private matters a lot about your public witness. Do you think that you just accidentally got into a DUI? Or is it small little habits that led to losing control of how to use alcohol? Do you see what I mean? Well, I didn't think it was a problem until it became a problem. Committing adultery with someone didn't happen just like out of nowhere. Small flirtatious interactions with a coworker, seemingly innocent, continued and escalated. And then, You've now brought 
harm to your witness, where they aren't seeing the conduct that Peter's demanding of true, chosen, elect exiles. Keep your conduct excellent, honorable. It's actually a word, virtuous. It's from like the Greek and Roman Empire. Keep your conduct with virtue. For a reason, though. Because you've been sent into the world for the sake of the nations so they would come to faith and glorify God. So I want you to just think about this idea that your private little moment-by-moment decisions, your thoughts, the things you do when no one else is looking, it's directly related to your public witness of Jesus Christ. Keep your conduct virtuous because some of your good deeds will overlap with every generation and every empire and every nationality, every culture at some point or another, will see things that Christians do and say, that's beautiful. I love that about these Christians. At the very same time, they will say, I hate this about Christians. I can't stand that they believe those things. It's not one or the other. Peter makes this really clear in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles virtuous. And he even uses one of their own terms, virtue. And then says, because sometimes when you start living out your life as a Christian, people are going to see that and say, wow, that is weird. That is different. And perhaps some of them will come to faith in Jesus. The very ones that were speaking evil against you, he says. And we don't get to pick and choose. If people are speaking evil against you, that might be normal. It also might be that you're a jerk, you know? It's hard to tell sometimes. Sometimes you're offensive and sometimes the gospel's offensive. It's best if it's the gospel that's offensive and not just you and your tone and you being belligerent and you kind of being so forceful and dominant and like, well, they need to hear me for Jesus. No, I think you just need to settle down, pal. We we, we can't force anybody to become a Christian. This whole idea of forcing religion down our throats is not our religion. We believe that God saves people by his sheer mercy, remember? You're loved not because of something somebody did to force something into you, but because you saw the beauty of the gospel. And perhaps you saw it in the display of somebody who's actually a Christian. You know, one of my favorite testimonies of our church is when Cy got baptized. And he said, I came to the church and I came from a Hindu family. And when I did so, I didn't really know any Christians. And and then I met people at embassy and they loved me. And when you listen carefully to his story of how he came to faith, he talks about how being loved by all of the different members of the church opened the door for him to say, I want to know more about the gospel. That's what Peter's talking about here. There's a kind of way to live that commends the beauty of Jesus that for so many people, even if some of them hated Christianity, start getting attracted to it. And see good deeds. And then they end up glorifying God on the day of visitation. And they do it in a way where it glorifies God by them becoming saved. Some will slander and some will be saved. We don't get to decide. We just are to be faithful and pray that God would be fruitful. 
Some people talk about this passage and say that it necessarily means lifestyle evangelism. Or that old cliche from St. Francis Assisi that most people don't even agree that he said, but we'll give him the credit. Preach the gospel and use words if necessary. I don't think that's what Peter's necessarily saying. I think he's saying there's a way of life that commends the gospel and opens the door for you to preach Christ. Really? I think you're just saying that because you like preaching, Pastor Phil. No, actually, he says this quite clearly. Look with me at chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 4, that is. No, I was right, 3. Chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter repeatedly will point out the fact that there will be people that even when you do good and you honor Christ, you will be persecuted, you will be slandered, you will be reviled. And then he says, but always be ready. Because some of them might say, you're different. You're not of this world. Why do you have hope? Do you see how it's not a choice between does my lifestyle commend the gospel and do some work of evangelism? Yes, it does. Your good deeds are an important part of the witness to Christ. But so is actually explaining who Jesus Christ is because we come by to him through the preaching of the gospel. So if, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we think that through you being explained that God loves you and sent his son to die for you so that you would repent of your sin, that you would trust in Jesus and all that he did for you so you could receive love and finally and truly be loved for every bad thing you've done and he still love you and take away that sin and give you a new family and a new church community and be different than all of those former goals and passions that you used to have. Only until you hear the good news of Jesus and God just starts making that heartbeat and you're like, I think, I think God's telling me that. And you repent of your sin. You trust in Jesus. That's what we mean. The gospel preaching isn't at odds with just faithful Christian living. It's supposed to be a both and. And we've seen that time and time again at this church. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I just hope that it's clear to you that we're here as God's people, not because we've spiritually climbed the ladder of good deeds, but because God in his mercy sent his son and that through the love of Jesus, we now want to love other people. Getting that order is extremely vital and Peter has pointed out this reality again and again. As we think through the dynamic between the two sides to fall off, I want to make sure that it's clear to all of you that sometimes we will struggle with too much love for the things of this world. But in a similar way, some of us will struggle with not wanting to go into the world. We will struggle with the idea that, uh, I'd rather just run away from the world. How about we go buy a farm in Texas and all live in a commune and we just give up living in Illinois? I mean, guys, have you looked around at Illinois? They don't like Christians. Let's just, let's just forget it. 
Is that the option? Should we run? Or should we revolt? Is that what Peter's saying? Slaves, when you have an unjust master, you should fight back. Women, if you have a disobedient husband, you should punch back. Match his words of condemning abuse with sharp words yourself. No, in fact, he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, look over at the text. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do you understand why I said this is a thesis statement? Because he's going to come back to this idea again and again. You are sent into the world. You don't run from a marriage just because your husband is not a Christian. You want him to become a Christian. You don't just run from a certain job because those people don't like Christians. You want them to become Christians. And even if they don't become Christians, you want to commend Christ and a kind of hope that's beyond this world. There will be no spot that you will move to on this planet where all the people around you will just love Jesus perfectly. So don't have this utopian idea that someday we're going to take over or we're going to start over or we're going to create this new world right here and now. Faithful witness is the goal. Embassy, this is extremely important in the world we live in. Faithful witness. Not revolt and not run. Keep your conduct virtuous because some will slander you. And when they do, not if they do, when they do, hope and pray that they will come to faith in Christ when they see that you do not revile back, you do not speak back, that you are like your Savior who followed the cross path all the way to its end. This is what he is about to say at the end of chapter 2. So realize that when Peter's talking to these Christians, this sort of slander, it was left and right. And in our day, I think we have just as many examples that we could think of. If you study the persecution of the early Christians that Peter's talking to, you can find that they were accused of all kinds of false accusations and different attacks. They were called insurrectionists because Christians were being accused of being guilty of rebelling against the Roman government. They were called atheists because they didn't worship the Roman gods. They were called cannibals because Christians were accused of eating the flesh of human beings and drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. They were accused of damaging trade and social progress, which I don't think they wanted to do, but sometimes it did happen. When so many of them got converted, it shut down industries. Like imagine if all of the United States became Christians and then just shut down the pornography industry. It'd be amazing. It was not like that was our goal, but our goal was people to come to faith in Christ and then whole industries just get shut down when they're built on idolatry. Some people were accused of splitting up their families because instead of giving allegiance to mom and dad's religion, they said, mom, I'm getting baptized. And then that baptism split the family apart. They were accused of leading slaves into rebellion against their masters. Do you see all of these false accusations? This is all first century. But I ask you, what about today? Is this relevant for us? Is this an applicable word? Do Christians ever get made fun of or teased or slandered or falsely accused for anything? If you say that homosexuality is a sin, will you be called a homophobe? If you say that you believe that God created the world in six days, and Genesis 1 is very helpful for us to understand origins, are you anti-science and just an idiot? 
You don't believe in basic facts. If you do not use someone's preferred pronoun or wear a name badge or put that at the end of your email signature, are you called transphobic or disrespectful? If you say that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, you might be called narrow-minded. If you say that a human person begins at the moment of conception, then you're going to say, you don't care about human health and women's right for reproductive care. Do you see what I mean? It doesn't matter which generation you're living in. There will always be those who slander and falsely accuse Christians for the things they believe in. They will hate it. And then at the very same time, did you know that Christians both back then and now are commended for the way that they loved women and treated them with respect in a world that did not? The way that they did care for little infants that were regularly just aborted after they were born because they were either female or had some kind of deformity. And the Christians would take those babies and say, we'll care for them. Do you know that when the plagues happened, Christians would care for not only their own sick, but the sick of the non-believing world? And they created hospitals. Why are so many hospitals religious? You ever look around and say, like, man, why is this a Methodist hospital? Because Christians started hospitals. Christians are actually the ones that started most of the universities in America. They're not anti-intellectual. And again and again you could go by looking at history to see that Christians do all of these good things. And the world loves it. They love colleges. They love hospitals. But it was Christians who started them, but they don't get any credit for it. Do you get the point? If your goal is to get the applause and the approval of men and women, you're wasting your time. That's not the goal. The goal is the glory of God on the day of visitation. That's the goal. Your life should not point to you. Your life shouldn't be about me getting a pat on the back for a good sermon. It should be about, that made me worship Jesus. Praise God. We love God. This is a God-centered church and a God-centered sermon and a God-centered vision for life. The sermon's called The Way of Life. And the way of life is not you or me individually or us collectively. It's God. God should be the way of life. So I ask you this question. Does your life commend God? Would somebody look at your life and be like, whoa, there's something about you that's just so weird. Your ability to be both confident in the love of God, but at the same time clear and bold that you don't care when people slander you. Humble. Bold. Courageous. But not a jerk. That's the kind of weird, alien, sojourning life that we should live. And if you think you can do that by yourself and not in community, then you're mistaken. We must do this together. And that's why, hopefully, you're here to be built up, encouraged, reminded, strengthened. So, brothers and sisters, let's realize that the goal is the glory of God. All praise to him. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we now bow before the throne of grace on the merits of the blood of Jesus. And we pray that the power of the Spirit will convict sinners who are falling off into cultural capitulation, the love of the world, friendship with the world. Rescue them. Help them to abstain fleshly passions. May they sense the weight and the urgency of the war. Oh God, and I want to pray 
that you will help redirect Christians who just want to run. They don't care about the public schools. When Etienne was praying earlier about public schools, they don't care. Who cares about the world? Who cares about government? Who cares about politics? Who cares about my neighbor? God, I pray you'd convict them as well. And that we not fall off and not care about the world. We were sent into the world because we are not of this world. So God, teach us well. Help us be faithful and not fall off into one ditch or the other. And let us not be surprised when the world both loves things that Christian does, do and hates the things that Christian do. God, make our aim the praise of the Father who says, well done, good and faithful servant. Instill in us that as our driving ambition for all of life. Oh God, all of us are teetering back and forth like a tightrope walker. Would you meet us where we need to be met? Would you comfort us, encourage us, reprove, rebuke, train us up for righteousness? For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray.